Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the proclamation of the faith of our heart, the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so, allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance. All of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, O Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady into your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. The letter of Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. The right to set aside the former way of life in order to clothe our bodies into a new way of life. And for the fulfillment of this commandment that is written by the Apostle Paul and is presented to us in the series of sermons of Apostle Arkady, there are three faithful commands and fundamental actions. This is to set aside, renew, and clothe. And from the fulfillment of these three requirements will depend the perfection of our salvation that is given to us in the format of a seed so that we can gain it as a property in the format of the fruit of righteousness. This is to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. The words that seem familiar to us, we oftentimes use them we, for many years now, listen to them in the sermons. But if we do not dwell in this word, and if we do not understand this revelation that we hear from this place, then this revelation is going to grow further, further, and further away from us. Because I know that I know I hear this. Familiar terms, familiar sermons, but if I don't pay the price... If I don't pay the price in order to be immersed in this word, to affirm this word in my life, to proclaim this word, these revelations, as strangely as it will sound, will grow further and further and further away. And the more we listen to them and not proclaim them, the more they will grow further and further away. And at the end, a person will fully lose his faith. That's why it is necessary not just for us to listen, but also for us to demonstrate obedience, to ponder upon these words, to ponder upon these revelations, and to proclaim these revelations. Otherwise, it'll be unfortunate. 
we heard about this promise and to remain without it is unfortunate. And with regard to this, we have stopped to study the 18th Psalm of David, in which acknowledgement and proclamation of the powers contained in the heart of David in the eight names of God had allowed David to call and love on the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and it gave God the basis to use the powers of these capabilities in battle against the enemies of David. And so, Psalms 18, verses 1 through 4. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who was worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And let us please all together proclaim these eight names of God. Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are the rock in whom I will trust. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. Lord, you are my stronghold. May the Lord hear these words. May he make them alive in our heart. And may he allow us to know him in his names. Through his word and the reigning Holy Spirit. And so after we have magnified the Word of God in our heart and are clothed in the powers of the name of God's strength, and when we weigh ourselves on the scales of justice, having cleansed ourselves from all impurities of the flesh and spirit and the powers contained in the portion of the name of God rock, only then we can receive the right in Christ Jesus to the portion in His name fortress in order to draw near to God. First, we magnify Him as, Lord, You are my strength. We magnify Him in His Word, and then we say, Lord, You are my fortress. Would we allow this Word to weigh us and to cleanse us from all impurities of the flesh and spirit? And then we proclaim, Lord, You are my fortress. Here we can run to God or come into the presence of God in order to be fertilized by the seed of the Word of God. And as we have said numerously, and our pastor has highlighted, that it is Lord, our fortress is unique as that it is present in all names. We can't know God in His name, Lord, you are my strength, if we don't run to this name. How can we know, Lord, you are my rock, you are my shield, you are the horn of my salvation? We must run to God in order to do this and in order to know Him in these names. It is specifically this third component where we say, Lord, you are my fortress. It is unique and differs in that we run here in order to not know one of the names of God, but to know him in his name, fortress. And there is such beauty that is contained, such a great faith that is contained in this name. We have the whole army arsenal here that is contained. We have the strongest weapons that the devil hates for us to ever even find out about these weapons. And when we find out about them, then he, then we are completely uh, completely calm. Why do some countries are fearful of nuclear weapons? The Russians are hated and our country, uh, America, has a hatred towards these and this hatred is expressed in the fact that it gave arsenal to other Slavic nations. 
America would spit on Ukraine, but uses it as a pawn, as a pawn in order to kill the other Slavic country, Russians. We must understand that we, or rather, those po po politicians who are here in this country, they despise Slav the Slavic people, just like they hate the Jews. And the Slavics must understand that they are being used as a pawn in order to destroy another country. That's why it's difficult to directly step on Russia. Try it. It's necessary to try to do this through Ukraine. America tries to do it through Europe. Why can't America go out? Why can't our country go out and fight directly against Russia? Why not? Why not? Why is America going through different traverse ways? Because they have a weapon in their arsenal that can leave nothing else of this earth, and America has the same weapon. That's why we together are talking respectfully to one another. And when leaders meet together, they are never face to face. They are never face to face rude to one another. They say this in their home country to their home people, but when they meet, they smile and they shake hands and they uh, kneel down to one another. Why? Because they have strong arsenal, one country and the other country. Same thing here. A devil is going to kneel before saints who have in their arsenal the name of God, Fortress. And so the name of God, Fortress, used in this prayer song, as the portion of the Son of God in whom and through whom a person can run to God, to know God, and be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven, containing the program and the time for the fulfillment of the promise of God. And in Hebrew, the name of God, Fortress, is defined by Scripture as the following definitions. Here are the semantics. The fortress of God is the abode of God, the dwelling of God, the sanctuary of God, the inaccessible light in which God abides, the place where man knows God, the opportunity to be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven, the atmosphere of God's success and God's joy, and the fortress of God is also hope and trust in God. Basically, the fortress of God is the place where God abides in the limits of which we can acknowledge God and be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven. In this place is found in three unique dimensions. This is the height of the heavens, the sanctuary that is known as the body of Christ in the face of God's chosen remnant, and in the heart of a person who is humble and contrite and who trembles before the preached word of God in the, from the person whom God has clothed in the powers of his fatherhood and in the lips of the helpers of this person under one condition if they speak with him in one spirit, but they don't take from him in order to speak their own. And so the name of God, Fortress, is present in three unique dimensions, in heaven, in the church, and in the heart that is contrite and humble and that trembles before the word of God. It can't be present only in two substances or only in one substance. In order for God to do something for us, it is necessary for him to utilize all three substances in our life. Sometimes you speak with saints, good saints from our church who were tested well. 
who have gone through certain tests and trials, they have a question sometimes, you know, I don't think that just we are going to be saved. And I say, we're not even talking about this, that just us or we just we are going to be saved. They say, my children have left to another church. I don't think that they will perish. I don't think that that church will perish. I don't think that the other church will perish. I don't think that only us are going to be saved. I say, that's good. That you think nothing. The thing is, is that in our church, there are people that have perished. And in that church, where there is the throne of Satan, there are people who have received salvation. And a person says, you know, our church is like a university. This church is like a college. Baptists are like a school. But this is like a children's daycare. I say, well, there is no definition of this in Scripture. In Scripture, there is a definition, narrow gates and a narrow path, and a wide gate and a broad path. That's it. There is no university. There is no daycare. When we go through narrow gates, there is a daycare, and there's school, and there's college, and there's university. When we enter through the wide gates, there is no daycare, because there is no milk that could feed. There is no school, because there is no teacher sent by God. There is no universities, because there is no reigning teaching. Oh, you know, I didn't think about this from this position. Well, you must think about it. And to say, you know, I think everywhere people are going to be saved. Everywhere. Yes, God knows how to save His own. God knows how to save His own. Scripture says, you live there where the throne of Satan is, but you contain my name and you have not rejected my faith. Somehow, this person receives this faith. This means that he lives in that region in which there is no church that could coincide to the quality of narrow gates. He says, you live in that city, in that country, in that region where there is the throne of Satan, and you have not rejected my faith. Someone has passed along this faith and you hold on to it and the time will come for God to pass along certain promises. He's going to say, flee Babylon, my people. He will absolutely say this because these three substances, the heavens, the sanctuary in the face of God's chosen remnant and our contrite spirit, they must be brought to complete harmony. That's why it is possible to live in that region where there is no church like this, not like our church, but a church like us. And there is a throne of Satan that might be there. And the throne of Satan is there where the beast sits on the throne. With seven heads and with ten horns. The throne upon which the lamb sits, he has one head, but seven horns. That's it. Are you where the throne of Satan is? On this throne is this creature with seven heads and ten horns. And on the throne of uh, where there is the narrow gates and the narrow path, there is a lamb that dwells there, who has one head, the theocratical structure. This is how he is defined. With seven horns and filled with the revelation of God and the authority of the Holy Spirit. These are narrow gates. That's why, let's agree to this. Never talk about a church as a university, college, daycare. 
let's provide biblical definitions. Either these are narrow gates or these are wide gates. And let's not give place for folklore when we say or we talk about things that are precious to God, things that he has paid the price of his blood with. Let's leave folklores to others. And so, the right to draw near to God as to our fortress gives us the ability to be fertilized by the seed of the promise that relates to the door of our hope, in the fruit of which God receives the basis to enter into battle over our body in order to destroy the power of death in our body, and with a sound forever cast the old man out of our body, whose weapon is the power of death. In Hebrew, the phrase draw near to God as an action means to approach the altar, to proceed to the knowledge of God, to enter the sanctuary of God, to draw near to God, to resort to the help of God, to be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven, and to cultivate fruit to offer God. And so each time, God, through the Holy Spirit, allows a person to run or draw near to Him. Then as a result of this closeness, we will always have a coinciding fruit in the sphere in which we run to God. But also, like in the previous names of God, we should note that the presence of the fortress of God in one of the spheres of our life cannot be an automatic guarantee for its present presence in other spheres. If God is present in our spirit, at first He is present in our spirit when we are born again, and our spirit becomes equal to God, becomes in the likeness of God, based on its origin, whereas our soul, our thoughts, and our body, our actions, are far away from God's high standards, from spiritual standards. That's why it's necessary for us to extend its authority on all of our essence and it's necessary for us to have the presence of God. Our soul and our body cannot coincide to God if we do not allow God to be present there. It turns out He doesn't just want to be present in our spirit. He wants to spread His authority through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit whom we use in the proclamation of the faith of our heart with our lips. He wants to spread and expand His authority to our soul and our body. Because according to Scripture, for the presence of the fortress of God, each individual sphere of our life must be brought to a state in which the powers of God could exalt in this sphere and produce fruit of a fortress in the subject of our salvation. So the Lord doesn't just want to bring our spirit, soul, and body to salvation, but also in the soul itself He wants to create order wants to go into the soul and say, what do you have? I have emotion, I have wills, and I have uh, rational capabilities. How will you conduct your order? He said, well, I'll begin from the rational capabilities because as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Therefore, let's renew our thinking with the spirit of our mind through the preached word that we hear. And we begin to renew our thinking. We begin to proclaim the word of God and our will uses its capabilities in order to lead our emotions. 
Thus, it is us who, in each individual sphere of our being, are responsible for creating a kind of atmosphere that could give God the basis to be our fortress. And this atmosphere that is called to give God the basis to be our fortress is the good soil of our heart that is able to accept the seed of the Word of God and produce fruit that coincides to the seed that was accepted. And for this purpose, just as we did in the previous names of God that are called to become the portion of our salvation, we will need to examine the following questions. First, what characteristics and categories define our inherited portion in the name of God fortress? What purpose is our inherited portion in the name of God fortress called to fulfill in the realization of our salvation? Third, what price is necessary to pay in order to give God the opportunity to be our fortress? And fourth, by which results should we define that God is truly our fortress in the realization of our calling? In a certain format, we have already looked at the essence of the first two questions, and therefore we will turn to studying the third question that sounds, again, we will read, what price is necessary to pay? so that our heart could become a fortress for God in order to give God the legal opportunity to be our fortress. And the first price for the right to draw near to God is comprised of offering God the fruit of righteousness in the name Maher Shalal Hajbaz. It's not an easy name, that's why the Lord said to Isaiah, you engrave this name on a scroll because it first is difficult to pronounce and secondly it has a very rich semantic and Isaiah was a unique person and he had two sons which were presented to us he had a, a firstborn son Shear Jashub and he said to Isaiah here I am me and my children whom the Lord have given as a sign in Israel from the Lord of hosts these sons were a sign and we must see these signs in our lives but in order for us to see our son the second son Maher Shalal Hajbaz it's necessary for us first to give birth to the son Shi'ar Jashub and to give birth to Shi'ar Jashub we need to look at what was happening in Israel and to understand that those events and that atmosphere that had happened in Israel must be in us otherwise we can't even make mention of these two sons and the following had happened in Israel at that time, that the Assyrian kingdom together with the Israel kingdom, they decided to totally destroy the Judean kingdom. It's very rare when a person in his essence comes to such an understanding and to such a position when the conflict and war begins in man himself. When the conflict and war begins in man himself, this means that the time has come to give birth to Shear Jashub and after him, Maher Shalal Hajbaz. If a person does not have a conflict in which he strives and searches for a way out in the Lord God, in His Word, and in His Holy Anointing, Holy Spirit, and in that position that he is found in, he doesn't need these two sons who are a sign in Israel, or rather in our body. And the image of the Israeli kingdom was, or rather the Judean kingdom represented the spirit of a person that has been reborn, the spirit of a person. So there, Isaiah had lived 
this wasn't just a Judean kingdom, it is a Judean kingdom, the, the reborn spirit in which the prophet Isaiah had lived. And today in our spirit, the prophet Isaiah dwells. We should verify, do I have the prophet Isaiah? Ask any Christian, do you have the prophet Isaiah in your spirit? He's going to say, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Do you have in your spirit, in your Judea, the prophet Isaiah? How do I define if I have him there or not? Tell me, who do you listen to? Do you have a spiritual person, a father in the church who represents the Father of God whom you listen to? He says, no, we have a brotherly council. They tell stories. They tell poems. They de they declare who's going to speak first, second, third, and fourth. And whoever comes after the other, he totally rejects what the other one had said. But the Judean kingdom is the kingdom in which there is theocracy. There is a spirit in which there is God's order in which the prophet Isaiah is present in the preached word of the anointed man of God who represents for us the fatherhood of God. The Israeli kingdom is an image of the soul which has not yet died for its kingdom, for uh, for its nation, for its household, and corrupt desires. And the Assyrian kingdom represents the image of our body in the face of reigning sin that lives in their body in the face of the Assyrian kingdom. So here we have Assyrian, Israeli, and Judean kingdoms. And the Assyri Assyrian, Judean kingdom, Assyrian, the body, uh, Israeli, the soul that has not yet died for its nation, household, and corrupt desires. They, both of these kingdoms, had decided to destroy the Judean kingdom because they understand that when Isaiah ends up in Judea, that Isaiah is interested in the authority of the Lord God to be expanded to Israel and to Assyria, to our soul and to our body. And it was necessary to give birth to the first son. This is the son of Isaiah, Shear Jashub. And Shear Jashub is the fruit of justification, and his name means God will return his remnant from captivity. And this is the first thing from which God begins, from the fruit of justification. We don't just receive justification. Our justification must offer fruit. What is this fruit expressed in? From the fruit of our lips, the spirit of a person is filled. So, under the fruit of justification, we are referring to our proclamations, the fruit of justification. It, there is justification that is a fruit, and there is justification that is not a fruit. That which we do not proclaim is not a fruit. Shi'ar Jashub is that word which we proclaim. We proclaim who God is for me, what God has done for me, and what I must do on my end to inherit all that He has done for me. And when I proclaim this, I use the powers of the fruit of justification in the name Shi'ar Jashub. And the Lord said to Isaiah for him to go out together with the son Shi'ar Jashub with the fruit of justification until uh, out onto the road into the upper pool to the fuller's field and for him to begin to prophesy together with his son to proclaim to thank God to talk about how the Lord will return his remnant from captivity and this is very important to proclaim the word of God and to come out onto the road that leads to the fuller's field there where a wool was bleached there were workers that worked there that bleached wool and scripture says that we must be on this bleached field in order to offer the fruit of justification to proclaim that justification that we received as a gift the redemption in Christ Jesus saying who God is for us what he has done for me and what I have in him and who am I in him and after Shi'ar Jashub, Meher Shalal Hajbas was born. 
In Hebrew, his name means hurrying to take the prey. Under this prey, we look at the reward and the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ that is prepared for us and the fruit of righteousness, which will destroy the power of death in our body and replace it with the power of life. In this, the second son will do this, the second son of Isaiah. And he was born after the fruit of justification, after Shear Jeshu, but his birth was very unique. The Lord said, take a scroll and write this name on the scroll. This tells us that the Lord had seen in this person, in the second son in the prophet, of the prophet Isaiah, a person who is going to be a Nazarene. Because when a Nazarene was born, the Lord long before his birth had said what his name should be. In the name of this person, the second son of Isaiah, he learned what he was going to be called before his birth. And so he took a scroll under which we mean the heart or the spirit of a person that is cleansed from dead works, and he engraved this promise in it, this promise, upon this large scroll, so that on this scroll, on this large scroll, because the long name, why was this name so long? How? Why not such a short name like we like to make names short these days? The Lord gave him a long name. He needs a long scroll. And if in our heart we have resentment, some kind of suspicion, evil suspicion towards someone else, our own personal understandings, then this name is impossible to engrave upon this scroll. The Lord said, on this scroll, this whole name must fit. That's why we cleanse this scroll from all dead works and we engrave on this scroll this long name. And after he wrote on this scroll this long name, after this, in the presence of Uriah Zechariah, he proceeded to the prophetess, his wife, or rather his soul. Our soul must be in the quality of a prophetess in relation to our spirit. He proceeded to her, and Meher Shalal Hajbaz was conceived. Our soul must be this prophetess. It must accept light like a moon represents, accepts the sun. Must be this, be this light and accept this light. Same thing as our soul that prophecies. It must accept from our spirit that word that he passes along to it. And when we have this divine order in us and in the church, then the Lord is going to uncover those powers that are found in this name in order for us to steal from the old man. And this name means Maher Shalal Hajbaz hurries to catch the prey. And under this prey, we are referring to the adoption of our body, which the old man has taken hold of. He can't, without our body, achieve this. This is there where his government is found, there where his power is found. And in order to keep and take hold of this power, he needs to make a contract with this Assyrian kingdom together with this Israeli kingdom so that the Israeli kingdom, this soul, does not renew its thinking with the spirit of its mind. But we see that Judea had overcome. This was the first component of the price. Very interesting. And let's move on to the second. Second price for the right to draw near to God is comprised fulfilling the conditions that make our heart a fortress for the Holy Spirit 
which gives the Lord Jesus the foundation to seat us on his throne, which is called to become our fortress. And so, our heart, we make a fortress for God, and this allows God to give us the throne that will become our fortress. But first he says, our heart must be a fortress for him, and then the Lord says, the throne is ready, and now you will sit and on my throne and I will be your fortress. Revelation 3, 20-22 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Look, someone wants to find a fortress in my home. This is the Lord. This is the Lord. I stand at the door and knock. Someone wants to come inside my home. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Now the second part. To him who overcomes, I will grant, now someone is inviting me as a guest, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Of course I want to attend this kind of a home as a guest. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so sitting on the throne with the Lord Jesus on his throne means to obtain the legal right to be a warrior of prayer and to represent his intercession before the Heavenly Father in the fulfillment of our mission, to practice judgment and truth in order to destroy the power of death in our body and in its place to erect the power of life. I must, being found in this perishable body, I must receive a place in on the throne with the Lord Father to receive the legal right to proclaim through intercession the judgment and truth in order to destroy the power of death. Now, not later when I die, I'm going to sit with Him on the throne. Now, today. Because He wants us to intercede from the position of the throne. Because Christ, Scripture says, He is the intercessor. He sits on the throne as a judge, a, a rightful judge. And therefore, to sit on the throne means to have the right to intercede in order to affirm judgment and truth and to destroy the power of death. Without this throne, we will not be capable of destroying the power of death. Therefore, we won't sit on the throne after we die, but in our life. We must already sit on the throne. The Lord must become a fortress for us, in other words. But for this purpose, it is necessary to distinguish the voice of the Holy Spirit and the person who represents the fatherhood of God from other voices in people we select for ourselves so that they flatter our uncircumcised ear so that we do not open the door to the spirit of delusion who portrays himself as the Holy Spirit. And we should note that the right to run to God in Christ Jesus, to sit with him on his throne, can be done by the category of people that has made its heart a fortress for God having accepted in their heart the Lord, the Lord as Lord and ruler of their life. The right to draw near to God in Christ Jesus, to sit with Him on His throne, I repeat, can be done by the category of people that has made its heart a fortress for God, having accepted in their heart the Holy Spirit. This is I, this is him standing at our door and knocking, which in practice means that this category of saints, through the preached word about the kingdom of heaven, cleanse their conscience from dead works by way of total sanctification for total dedication to service to God in the temple of our body. This dedication made their heart a fortress for God, and they received the right to priesthood in order to draw near to the altar of the Lord, to offer on it a sacrifice of the lips of praise that praise God. 
through the cleansing of our conscience from dead works, we represent the opportunity to the Holy Spirit or to Christ to enter into us. Therefore, He knocks on that door, on that heart that is cleansed from dead works. He is not going to knock on the door behind which is garbage and trash and dirt and a religious pig yard. He's not going to knock on this kind of a door. He's going to knock on the heart that is clean and prepared in order to be able to meet him. The phrase, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, tells us that the knock on the door of our heart discovers itself in the voice of the Holy Spirit who represents the voice of the Lord on the lips of those people to whom He entrusted His word and made His lips. Now let's take a look at seven components, eight components that are going to help us know and define this knock. Do we hear this knock in our heart? Is He knocking in our heart? And this is very important. Because as we heard here, interestingly, that we will not be capable of gaining God, Lord, you are my fortress, meaning that he has prepared a throne upon which I will sit from the position of which I will practice judgment and truth so that in my perishable body I can with a noise overthrow the old man. He says, allow me first to knock into your heart and I will not knock until you uh, cr create an order. I create an order, God. I am cleansing my conscience from dead works so I can accept you. And then I begin to knock. Lord, how are you going to knock? He says, I am already knocking. He says, we say when? He says, right now, through the preached word of the person whose labors we are reading. This knock we hear now. Somebody has already opened the door, I hope. But let's take a look at this knock through this word that is preached. We must understand, so eight components we'll look at. We must understand that the Holy Spirit knocks on the heart of a person through the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. And this, of course, is amen. Second, this knock in the voice of the person who has the powers of the fatherhood of God knocks when in the heart of a person the spiritual reproductive organ is formed, which gives a person the ability to be fertilized by the seed of the word about the kingdom of heaven, so that he could offer fruit of the Spirit. Well, sometimes people say, oh, pastors is going to... I looked from the archives. Pastor said this 20 years ago, we say. What was wrong with me that I didn't understand? We, we weren't formed yet. We, as the Bride of the Lamb, were very young. And we did not yet have the spiritual reproductive organ formed yet that is able to accept this word and to offer the coinciding fruit. It was the same word that we heard, but we were different back then. Third, this knock in the voice of the person who has the powers of the fatherhood of God knocks in the heart of a person when he becomes a partaker, part of the category of the bride of the lamb that is defined as God's chosen remnant that is chosen by God out of the category of the many that are called. Fourth, this knock in the voice of the person who has the powers of the fatherhood of God knocks in the heart of a person when the feast of the Lamb approaches. This is important. The Lord has prepared for us a promise that lays at the door of our hope, and He knocks. How many saints today hear about the promise? You will say, my God, 
This is catastrophically low. Very few of those hearts whom he is knocking at during the wedding feast. There's not many. And practically the word about the kingdom of heaven and the power of the Holy Spirit represents the engagement of Rebecca through Eleazar, the steward of the house of Abraham, who had a specific plan about who would be Isaac's bride. So he came, he has come to us, and imagine, we have Rebecca present here. Fifth, this knock in the voice of the person who has the powers of the fatherhood of God discovers oil in the vessel of the wise of heart and the lack of oil in the vessel of the foolish in heart. Sixth, this knock in the voice of the person who has the powers of the fatherhood of God discovers the fading of the lamp of the foolish in heart and the burning lamp of the wise in heart. All of this is defined through the knock, and under this knock we define not just the voice of the person, but the voice of the person who has the powers of the fatherhood of God, who preaches to us the word. Through this sermon, through this word, he discovers a knock, and by this knock we can define with what kind of a subject we have uh, work with. Is this right, correct works, righteous works, or evil works? Whatever you knock on, you can tell, is this metal, is this wood, is this rock? Same thing when he knocks on, the, on, on our heart, he defines if this is a wise heart or a foolish heart. Eight, this knock in the voice of the person who has the power of the fatherhood of God, or rather, number seven, this knock in the voice of the person who has the power of the fatherhood of God returns to a wise heart, the once lost vineyards, the valley of Acor, the youth, and deprives the foolish in heart of joy. And all of this is done through this word, through this knock, how we relate and how we act towards this word. Why does he give some joy and others he deprives of this joy? It is based on our relationship to the word that we hear. This is our relationship to when we are, uh, when we hear this knock and how we react to it. If we react with joy, we come to church with joy when we hear the word of God and we listen to it with joy. I listen to it with joy. So I listen to our pastor brother Arkadzi. I listen with joy to those saints who preach with him in one spirit. I listen with joy because this for me is a knock. And the other category, they do not have this joy. This joy has departed. And today, that same hand is knocking on their heart, but they have no joy. Same hand, but through a different person. Same word, same anointing, same amplitude, but there is no joy. We are talking about how to define this knock. Eighth, this knock in the voice of the person who has the powers of the fatherhood of God is called to separate those people who have an ear to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in their heart from those people who do not have an ear to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. From this it follows that God has prepared what God has prepared for us so that we can hear what has he prepared for us to hear this person whom he made his lips and endowed him with his wisdom so that he can bear on his shoulders the responsibility for the remnants chosen by him? What does the Lord tell us to do? Let's take a look at what we must do, what steps we need to take in order for us to be able to hear his voice.
Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And so a question arises. What conditions are necessary to fulfill for the ear of our heart to become able to hear the knock in our heart in the voice of a person who carries the powers of the fatherhood of God. What price is comprised of us learning to hear my pastor? Because it is impossible to fulfill conditions that are known to us or partly known and are blurred in our heart without clear and precise boundaries between the pure and, un and the unclean and between the holy and the non-holy. And therefore God, before standing up and knocking on the door of the heart of the remnant chosen by Him, He prepared for them everything necessary for their hearts to become a fortress for Him. What wonderful words! In order for God to stand up and knock on the door of our heart, He on His end has done everything in order to prepare our heart and to make our hearts worthy of being a fortress for our Lord. And let's take a look at these five conditions. And so the first condition in which God shows us His love so that our heart could become a fortress for Him are these words, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So the state that causes vomit Cold water, hot water, they do not cause vomit. If someone says, if someone has had uh, food poisoning, drink uh, something warm and then everything that is in will come out. And when saints become lukewarm, tolerant, this causes vomit. And during this vomit, he stops proclaiming our names and takes us out of his lips, removes us from his mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth, he says. In the original it says, I will throw you out from my insides as a vomit, and I will forget your name, and I will forget your children. On one hand, I could wish you were cold or hot, tells us that God does not have patience for tolerance toward evil company. Tolerance could be expressed different ways to people who are unbelievers, to the poor, but not to the wicked and to the lawless. There are areas where we must show this quality, this quality of stooping down, but tolerance is that which represents for God a certain danger, and we are very loyal to this. On the other hand, God, out of love toward man, offers man to condemn in himself tolerance towards what? Towards alcohol, 
misconduct, and covetousness, the carriers of which is evil company. So we must judge tolerance. Tolerance is lukewarm. What is lukewarm? It is a state that is dangerous, that could cause us to be vomited out from the mouth of God. And He will stop proclaiming our name before Heavenly Father and before His angels. He will forget us because He has vomited us out from His mouth. What does it mean to be hot, cold, and lukewarm? To be hot means to be alive for God. The definition of this heat is a burning lamp. To be hot doesn't mean just to yell out loud. It means to be joyful. We must have this unblemished joy. To be cold means to be dead to sin. And the definition of such death to sin is evidence that we have died to our nation, the house of our Father, and the corrupt desires of our soul. So to be cold to these three substances. To be lukewarm means to be tolerant toward evil company, or rather to have an outward appearance of godliness while denying its power. Thus, if we are alive for God, we will be dead to sin. And on the contrary, if we are dead to sin, then we will be alive for God. And this was the first condition. We must be hot for God, cold, dead to sin, and never be lukewarm. Tolerance is not a word that exists for us in our, in our practice. This was the first condition. The second condition for our heart to become a fortress for God so that God could demonstrate His favor towards us and become our fortress are in the Word. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This condition is that we repent and promise not to measure ourselves and not to compare ourselves with ourselves, but to measure ourselves with the words of justice presented in the preached word about the kingdom of heaven by the apostles, prophets, and teachers appointed by God to build and edify the church. So our measuring tool is the word of God and those representatives whom God has given to us. And to compare ourselves to ourselves, how correct I am or how successful I am is incorrect. 2 Corinthians 10.12 says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. This is what Scripture calls foolishness, when a person begins to measure or compare himself with himself, and he measures things that he must not measure. We have, example, Bible, Job. Job, we can compare ourselves to Job. David, we can compare ourselves to Job. Apostle Paul, we can compare ourselves to him. Apostle Arkady, we can compare ourselves to him. But we must not measure ourselves with ourselves. Oh, I don't know what I would do in this situation. You would do it correctly. If you have truth in the heart, love toward God and the fear of God, you would have done the same as the anointed man of God, but you must have this correct image in your thinking. The third condition for our heart to become a fortress for God so that God could demonstrate His favor toward us and become our fortress are in the following words. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich. Gold refined in fire, which we must be enriched with for our heart to become a fortress for God, and God could become our fortress, is the reigning teaching of Christ, free from interpretations of the flesh that distort the truth of the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15-17 through 17. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Gold that is refined in fire. This is the reigning teaching of Christ that is cleansed from foreign interpretations of the flesh. And to define, do I have this gold refined in fire? This is if I do not distort the word of God as many do, but I proclaim it as of sincerity, as from God before God in Christ. This is what the fragrance of Christ is. Tell me, am I a fragrance of Christ? We provide an answer and we say, tell me, please, when you proclaim the word of God, do you distort the word of God? What does this look like? Do you pray according to the word of God or that which comes to your head? Well, that which comes to my mind, I pray though with those words, then you are not a fragrance of Christ. Do you believe that you have just told Yahweh in His presence that you from A to Z fulfill the standard of holiness? No, of course not. I'm not. I don't know of this. I'm not confident in this. Well, then you aren't a fragrance of Christ. The fragrance of Christ is only that person who does not distort the Word of God. Who does not distort the word of God. That's why sometimes saints say, you know, it's scary for me to pray before God. I <laughs> say, well, finally the fear of God has come to us. I also uh, grew with fear to pray. After we more and more read the labors of our pastor, I, it grows even more and more frightful. In the literal sense of the word, it becomes frightful to enter into the presence of God with our own prayers. People enter to the presidents, to kings, and they learn how to speak, and they memorize it, and they stand before this leader, and they fall. And there was a video, there was a man standing before a president, a strong man, and like a little girl, he, he lost consciousness and fell before the leader or the president. Can you imagine? Before, he, he lost consciousness before a Democrat who wipes our feet, who wipes our shoes. Can you imagine what it's like coming into the presence of God? That's why if we go to God with ease, with easy prayers, this means that we don't enter. We are talking with ourselves. To purchase the gold refined in fire means to be clothed in the dignity of a disciple who pays the price for his discipleship by submitting 
to the word of the person clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 to 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Here is the price for us to purchase the gold that is refined in fire. This is the necessity to be a disciple. And a disciple never prays with his own prayers. A disciple, what distinguishes a disciple from an ordinary person? He will never pray with his own prayers. Never. He prays with that word in that format that the person clothed in the fatherhood of God passes on to him. The fourth condition for our heart to become a fortress for God so that God could demonstrate his favor toward us and become our fortress are in the words, I counsel you to buy from me white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. White garments that we are called to be clothed in so that the shame of our nakedness may not be revealed is the profit from the fruit of righteousness received by us from the deposit of justification that we placed into circulation or the fruit of the Spirit that we have borne. The fruit of righteousness is the grown fruit of the Spirit. Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. This is not just fine linen, because justification is fine linen. Righteousness is linen clean and bright. In justification, we receive that which He has done for me on the cross. In righteousness, I express my love to Him, that which He has done in me through the death of the Lord Jesus. I die to Him. I die for Him. He showed me His love through the cross, and I show Him my love for Him through the cross. When I die to my nation, to the house of my Father, and to my corrupt desires. In other words, just to bring Him a gift to send him a smiley face to say, I love you, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. We can send this to one another, but when we are speaking with the Lord, he says, this, I love you, it works only through the cross of Christ, only through the observance of the commandments of the Lord. The fifth condition for our heart to become a fortress for God so that God could demonstrate his favor toward us and become our fortress are in the words, I counsel you to buy from me eye salve and anoint your eyes that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Eye salve that we are called to anoint our eyes with so that we can see. So that we can see who God is for us, what God has done for us, who we are for God, and what we must do to inherit all that God has done for us. For this, it is necessary for us to have eye salve. For our heart to become a fortress for God and give us a free entrance into the fortress of God, it is necessary to have a pure heart cleansed from dead works with the truth of the blood of the cross of Christ. Matthew 5, 8 Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is that eye salve. They will see God. Who will see God? Those who have this eye salve. What is this eye salve? This is to have a pure heart 
pure eyes. Pure eyes is a pure heart, and pure eyes are those is that are those eyes that have been anointed with eye salve, so that we do not have dead works. And to have this eye salve, it costs a very high price, and it's necessary to pay a price for it. The most precious kind of currency that is not fallen value. This is the price of a disciple. Discipleship. When a person becomes a disciple, a servant of the Lord Jesus, we must represent his interests as disciples of him. Therefore, a pure heart. Pure heart will see. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it becomes pure when our eyes become pure. And this is possible when we purchase this eye salve. Dead works of which are written about here, which we need with which which we need to cleanse our heart from, are works that come from the flesh and religious actions that we view as good works but have no relation to good works whatsoever. Hebrews nine fourteen says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And therefore, if we do not hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in the voice of the person who is the voice of God, then we will open the door of our heart to a different voice who portrays himself as the voice of the Holy Spirit in the voice of a person who placed himself as a teacher and or prophet. These are the wonderful words, saints, that we have today. We are very grateful to God for them. Let's together now proclaim prayer words all together. We have agreed all to do this because in our heart there is the fear of God and we know whom before whom we stand, before the King of kings and Lord of lords. We will tremble before Him, revere before Him and proclaim the Word of God so that we do not distort the Word of God. We're going to proclaim, and you're going to repeat along with me, with me, and today for a certain, and then for a certain period, we will speak in tongues, or we will pray in tongues for a few minutes, and then we will again go back to proclaiming the Word of God. All right, please repeat after me. May the Lord hear me in the day of trouble. May the Lord protect me, the name of God of Jacob. May he send to me help from his sanctuary. And from Zion, may he strengthen me. May he remember all of my sacrifices and all of my burnt offerings. May he make them full. May he give to me according to my heart and all of my attentions may he fulfill. We will rejoice of our salvation for the name of our God, we will lift up a banner. May the Lord fulfill all of our supplications. And now I have known that the Lord saves His Anointed One. He answers Him from His holy heavens. With His might, He saves with His hand. Some with chariots, some with horses. But we, with the name of the Lord of our God, rejoice. They have fallen and have stumbled, but we have stood up and stand firm. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask you, we pray for our pastor at Gadi, who serves to you with his spirit in the preaching and the gospel of your son, so that the will of God 
could hurry to us for we desire to see him so that he, he could give us the word for the affirmation of us and so that we can be comforted by the common faith we thank you and we ask you to open the door for your word to declare to him the mystery of Christ that he may open it as he ought to may open it to him like the morning sun and his healing may it quickly groan and his righteousness may it go before him and the glory of the Lord may it lead him and guide him may the sun of righteousness arise and healing in its rays you give strength to the weary and give strength to the tiring those who hope in the Lord will be renewed in strength they will lift up their wings like eagles they will not grow weary they will go and not grow tired you stretch out your hand for healing and for your signs and wonders by the name of your holy son Jesus let us pray in tongues We will continue to pray. May the Lord give us His glory according to His riches, to be fully strengthened by His Spirit in our inner man, for the faith of Christ to dwell in our hearts, so that we, being rooted and grounded in love, can comprehend with all of the saints what is the width, the height, and the depth, and the length, and to understand with understanding the love of Christ, 
so that we can be filled with all of the fullness of God. We thank you, Father, for our dwelling in Christ Jesus. He was pierced for us, and by his blood, he has redeemed us to God out of, from, out of every tribe, tongue, nation, and generation. And he made us kings and priests to our God, and we are going to reign on the earth. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, Christ has redeemed us from the oath of the law, having been made an, a curse for us, knowing that the we are redeemed by the vain life from the vain life of our forefathers, by the precious blood of Christ, who is the pure and unblemished Lamb. For we have been purchased by a precious and valuable price, for there is no condemnation to those who in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed me from the law of sin and death. All of the promises of God are in Him, yes and amen, for the glory of God through the apostles. The peace of God, which is higher than all thinking, all minds, let it guard our hearts and thoughts in Jesus Christ. I am able to live in poverty, able to live in abundance, I have learned all in all to be satisfied and to endure hunger, to be in abundance and to be in lack. I can all do all things in Christ who gives me strength. We thank you, Father, for the dwelling of Christ in us. I, with my soul, strive to you in the night, and with my spirit, I will search for you in, in me from the early morning. How grateful is the greatness of His might in us. Those who are believers will act according to the power of life. I hold on to the good, good deposit by the Holy Spirit who lives in me. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit who is the deposit of my inheritance for the redemption of His portion, for the glory of Him I know in whom I have believed and I believe that He is strong to keep my deposit for the day when this perishable body will be clothed into imperishability and this mortal will be clothed with into immortality and your written word will be fulfilled death is swallowed up by victory death where is your sting hell where is your victory thanks be to god who has given to us victory by our Lord Jesus Christ. We will thank Him in tongues. We will thank the Lord what He has done for us and who we are for Him in Christ Jesus. Let us pray in tongues.
we will proclaim the following. I today make the decision to lay aside all uncleanliness and evil so that in meekness I can accept the planted word that is able to save my soul. I reject all evil. I, re I accept good. May all burden and sin that binds me be overthrown. I reject all gods that are present in the former way of life so that I may serve to the one God. I die to the former way of life and I am freed from the law of Moses that binds me. I reject myself. I take up my cross and follow the author and finisher of my faith. I do not love the world nor that which is in this world. Who loves this world, in him there is no love of God. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, all of this is not from the Father but from the world and the world passes by in its lusts, but he who fills the will of fulfills the will of God dwells forever. For the anger of God is poured out from heaven upon all uncleanliness and the evil of men who trample on the truth with lies. I despise those who despise you, Lord, and resist those who stand up against you. With great hatred, I hate them. They are enemies to me. May they be ashamed. Those who seek my soul, may they turn back. And may they be filled with dishonor. Those who wish me evil, may they be like the dust before the wind. And the angel of the Lord, may he banish them. May their path be darkened and slippery, and the angel of the Lord, may he pursue them. May woes come upon him, and the snares that he laid out for him, that, that he laid out for me, may they catch him. May they lead him to perdition, for the day shall come that is like a furnace, when all of those who are lofty and prideful and who act disorderly will be like the tares that will be burned, says the Lord of hosts, so that he does not leave them, nor neither the root or the branches, but for you who revere before my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise, and healing in its rays, and we will exit out and rejoice as lambs who have been filled, and we will trample on the wicked for they are going to be like the dust under our feet. And that day, which I have made, says the Lord of hosts, the heart of a king and the, and the heart of the Lord are like rivers of water. Where he desires, he will lead it. We pray for kings and for all those leaders that we may live a life that is quiet and without rebellion and all godliness and purity for this is good and this is pleasing to the Lord our Savior who desires for all of people to be saved and to achieve the knowledge of the truth father in the name of Jesus Christ I thank you for the right to be clothed in the garments of salvation in the linen that is fine clean and bright in the garments of righteousness the robe of righteousness the matrimonial garments and the and 
and the representative power of Yahweh of hosts, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we will conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with unblemished joy. To God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.